Hi, John. How are you today? Morning, Elliot. Doing well, thanks. Even though it's August, a lot going on. A couple things I know we want to chat about. First, everybody by now is clearly aware of the indictments handed down in Georgia. 19 defendants, uh, 40-plus felonies, including use of the RICO statutes at the state level. And you and I know the RICO statutes abused at the federal level, and it's been certainly something that expands the ability of prosecutors to look at predicate offenses and bring multiple charges. So that's an interesting tool, valid tool, from my experience of understanding the RICO statutes. But I would urge people, it's a 98-page indictment. I have not read through the entire indictment yet, but it's more legalese than the Jack Smith indictments. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but clearly... Fonnie Willis not only has done her homework, but this is a very detailed series of charges. So it's going to be very interesting to see how all this gets managed. But it is under the category of corruption, which is an issue that we do talk about from time to time on this week, as well as uh, several of our of our uh, webinars. Yes, it will be very interesting to see it unfold. I agree. And to see how the various judges deal with scheduling and with limitation of disclosure of evidence and other complex issues in any one case, but now with multiple cases, obviously that much more complicated. On the good news side, we obviously correctly criticize Congress for not getting as much done as we think they can get done. But this is the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. And um, if you go to the Treasury's website, they list a number of things that our colleagues at the Internal Revenue Service have been able to improve in terms of service, which is one of the key reasons for the funding levels there. But I just wanted to focus on a couple. There's a lot in there, so folks can take a look at the press uh, statement that has been uh, posted on the website. But the category of going after high-income taxpayers for taxes that they owed and never paid, they talk about uh, pursuing tax evasion of people with over a million dollars in assets and saying that IRSCI has closed a lengthy list of cases for tax evasion, money laundering, and filing false tax returns. These tax evaders used their funding for gambling, vacations, luxury goods. That's all has been proven in these cases. IRS closed about 175 delinquent tax cases for millionaires that generated $38 million in recoveries. So I think that's good. And also they mentioned, relevant to uh, some interviews we've done recently, 100 high-income individuals claiming benefits in Puerto Rico without meeting the residence and source rules involving U.S. possessions. And those wealthy individuals were attempting to avoid U.S. taxation. And I, I mentioned Puerto Rico specifically because one of the uh, several art, um, interviews that we've done was with the current special agent in charge of Homeland Security in Puerto Rico, uh, Rebecca Gonzalez Ramos, uh, and some of the work that she's doing. So a lot in this um, uh, press statement, it's on the Treasury's website, but again, it talks specifically about what's happened in 12 months, which is pretty impressive. Yes, uh, actual action, which often when we talk about what's going on in Congress, as you mentioned, there's motion, but not a lot of action. And you've identified something that FinCEN just issued that I know you're working on a, a, a longer piece. What happened there? Yes. Again, in collaboration with our law enforcement partners at IRSCI and HSI, 
FinCEN uh, issued a notice, and we'll put the link to the notice in the description of this week's session, but it's a notice regarding, and I'm quoting the title here, FinCEN calls attention to payroll tax evasion and workers' compensation fraud in the construction sector. And it's a detailed discussion of the use of shell companies to create both an insurance insurance fraud by um, having a shell company buy a workers' compensation insurance policy for a very small number of workers and then through the shell company, a very large number of workers get hired. Then money is funneled through the shell company to pay those employees in cash and avoid both federal and state and local payroll-related taxes. Red flags and all of those things, it's another kind of fraud, but you can also see how in some ways, and, and we've talked about this and written about this in the past, that fraud and money laundering are quite often v- v- directly connected. So we will be posting a more detailed analysis next week as a blog post, so you can watch for that on our website. Worth taking a look at, and like many of these notices and pieces of guidance that come out of FinCEN and other regulators, when they have red flags and other topology explanations, it's useful as a way to check your own program, training, those kinds of things. So the other item that's come up that was reported by the Wall Street Journal and other trade papers, we mentioned last week that Attorney General Garland spoke to the American Bar Association and some of the comments he made regarding Ukraine and going after uh, oligarchs' funds and uh, that sort of issue. But in addition, one of the things that the uh, House delegates did, they took a vote on a, on a resolution, and that amends uh, one of their model rules, the model rule of declining a terminating representation in the ABA model rules of professional conduct. That sounds pretty dry, but basically this is an attempt to address the ongoing both fact and concern about some lawyers that work with clients that many would suggest are clearly engaged in financial crime. And we know FATF has talked about gatekeepers being included under some version of whatever the BSA or AML infrastructure is in in a particular country. We know that there was an attempt two years ago to include those gatekeepers in the National Defense Authorization Act section on AML, but that was stripped out. So there's been a lot of pressure on the legal profession to address this. And as an attempt to address this, what they have done is for a 216 to 102 vote, they approve that resolution. And the change is the measure that says, quote, reasonable and appropriate, unquote, federal government efforts aimed at combating money laundering is what they were addressing. That was the effort. But this would require lawyers to assess, again, quote, the facts and circumstances, unquote, of potentially representing a client. So under those new rules, lawyers would be required to stop working for any client that wishes to use their services to commit a crime. It passed not overwhelmingly, but by over 100 votes. But clearly, some of the folks there were opposed to this, and they believe that it's going to be harmful to the ability of lawyers to represent clients. 
But others have said, if we don't do this, we're going to get regulation. They may still get regulation, but uh, that's another uh, reason to, to put that together. So what was your take on that? Because you and I have talked about this for, for a long time. Yeah. So one additional fact that I want to throw in the mix, and then I'll answer your question, and that is a couple of years ago when AMLO was coming together and a provision related to gatekeepers was, as you mentioned, uh, in the original proposal, the American Bank, uh, Bar Association actively lobbied against the bill. Right. This is clearly not something they would prefer to do. And in several of the accounts that talked about various speeches that were given in favor or against, it was clear that many of the speakers in favor, at least those reported about, were saying, we need to take some affirmative action or we're going to get regulation, as you mentioned. That's not a ringing endorsement for the concept. That's right. a, Maybe I'll take a few bricks out of the wall, but I don't want to take down the wall. One of the continuing arguments by the legal profession about this issue is that any kind of reporting obligation is uh, very concerning because of their obligation related to uh, confidentiality of client information. Uh, but it seems to me there has to be some limited exceptions where really bad things are happening. In the same way that in many states, medical professionals who have a, an obligation of confidentiality have an exception for reporting abuse or an announcement by a patient that they intend to create great bodily harm. So it seems to me that the idea that lawyers should have an unlimited confidentiality obligation, even when bad things are happening, shouldn't carry the day. Gatekeepers is a tough issue. And while lawyers are front and center, we know that accountants, trustees of trusts, there's lots right. of gatekeepers. I think gatekeeping, the gatekeeper rules have to get put in place in some way. You mentioned that FATF considers it important. I've been doing some reading around how are different countries handling it. And I think this is one where, again, we're slowly falling further and further behind in the U.S. It's important if we want to really have a fully successful anti-money laundering um, regime in place, we have to deal with this. And I don't think it can just be voluntary disclosure. No. So two things. The business law section, litigation section opposed it. That tells you a little bit right there. And our colleagues at Transparency International said, in effect, that these new rules are, quote, window dressing, unquote, and would have little effect. Much more to come on this. I've never felt that voluntary standards, guidance, whatever, is a substitute for regulation. It never works. It just doesn't work in the art industry. It's not going to work here. But it's important to note that obviously some in good faith said we have to take a stand and make a statement. We'll see where this leaves everybody going forward. Yeah, I expect you and I will hear from a, some of our colleagues who are in the criminal defense side, but also who do corporate work about why regulation isn't appropriate or isn't necessary. But I fully agree with you. I think there are clearly places where you need regulation, and this is one of them. All right, good stuff. As I mentioned, two interviews, one was done in Spanish by our advisory board member, Mary Lou Jimenez, and one that I was able to do both with Rebecca Gonzalez-Ramos, who, again, as I mentioned, is the special agent in charge down in Puerto Rico for Homeland Security. So take a listen to that. 
We also recently interviewed Saskia Rebrook from the Association of Certified Sanction Specialists on the sanctions challenges that we're all well aware of and how she's trying to deal with that. So those are a couple things coming up. What else, Elliot? Next week is our webinar on AML best practices. You can still register for that on our website, and we encourage you to do that. And just a a sneak peek of next month, we're going to have a... um, we're going to have a webinar uh, looking at fraud programs uh, that uh, our colleague Chuck T- Taylor is going to moderate. Great panel there. Uh, you'll be able to register for that starting after the 24th of this month. So good things in the pipeline for the webinar program. As you mentioned, some good new things in the podcast program. And as we have said every week, if you have ideas for topics for either this podcast or our other content, please let us know. We've had a few interesting things roll in, and we are going to put them into the production queue, and you'll see some of those pop up over the next month or two. Yeah, and please write a review. That would help us as well. We want to make sure people are out there paying attention. We get some really decent feedback. So, Elliot, thanks so much. Have yourself a great rest of the week. You too, and I know you're getting in the car and driving to a conference. Drive carefully. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.